Women in White Coats is here to uplift women doctors just like you. Empowering you in your personal and professional life. I'm Dr. Amber Robbins. And I'm Dr. Archana Shrestha. We are doctors, best-selling authors, and the co-founders of Women in White Coats. Now, are you ready for a culture shift where women empower women? Join us to get a glimpse of what life is like as a woman doc. And guess what? You'll discover that you're not alone. We're here to give you positivity and keys to balancing your life. This is the Women in White Coats podcast. Welcome to the Women in White Coats podcast. This is Dr. Archana. In this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Romy Mushtaq, a chief wellness officer, and she shares with me about her personal experience of burnout, her own wellness journey, and how she became a chief wellness officer. To tell you more about her, Dr. Romy Mushtaq is a neurologist, mindfulness teacher, and sought out keynote speaker. She is the first chief wellness officer for a corporation of 5,000 plus employees in the United States. She is not only a neurologist, but also an integrative medicine specialist and mindfulness expert who has impacted over 1 million lives across the world through her keynote talks and workshops on mindfulness and brain health. She has a popular TEDx talk on the powerful secret of your breath, and she has been featured on NBC, Huffington Post, NPR, and dozens of other national media outlets. Dr. Romy has worked with Grammy Award-winning musicians, top professional athletes, and Fortune 500 company executives. Have a listen to our conversation. I'd love to kind of take it back. You know, how did you even get into, uh, how did you choose your field of neurology and how did you end up, you know, what led you to wellness? I think I have a stubborn streak and it was both responsible for my rise and my fall. You know, my age, I'm the eldest um, daughter in the family. And for a long time, I was the only daughter on my mother's side, granddaughter, you know, and but with this guiding principle that it was just expected that we have one doctor and you will become a doctor. And remember, I was being raised in a small town in Illinois in a public school system where there weren't many immigrant families at all. And young girls at that time certainly were not encouraged to do well in school, especially STEM classes. It was like, oh, honey, oh, thank you for being, you know, so interested in your education. Take another home economic class. And, you know, that just wasn't my path. And I I think thankful for um, my parents and other elders. And I end up in medical school. And it was that stubborn streak again, that neurology perplexed me, as well as neuroanatomy. And then we come upon the decade of the brain, and you see these advances that are happening in the 1990s at, you know, lightning speed, and I was drawn to it. But the stubborn streak came back again, because I mean, I entered neurology at a time where less than 5% of academic neurologists were women. Like at every corner of my career from residency interviews to internship and residency and faculty interviews, men would ask uh, the obvious questions you're going to hear from many of your female guests uh, is they, they would be like, 
you know, do you practice to plan medicine? What if, if you get pregnant, you know, we can't afford to hire you if you're going to leave. And, you know, just those, those inappropriate, which we know are against HR policies, but back then that was the norm in medicine. And unfortunately, from what I hear from clients I coach in healthcare systems, it still prevails. This idea that people of color and women are not valued in medicine. And um, I think it was that stubborn drive that led to my rise in neurology and my fall. So you go back to my TEDx talk in 2014. This was really before physician burnout was making the headlines. I came out publicly as a face of physician burnout. And, you know, this wasn't just, oh, there's another person talking about burnout and she's talking about mindfulness. At that time, that was a message that was not out there. I think our physician colleagues could not believe that I had come out publicly and they were questioning mindfulness and meditation. But yet corporate America being cutting edge saw this is a way forward. And you fast forward to today to 2020, where I am the CEO and founder of Dr. Romy Wellness and Omni Media. And I get hired by companies and large organizations to talk about brain and mental health in the workplace. And that's become my mission. So really, I think at every point, it's been my stubborn streak that has gotten me to this point. <laughs> wow, that's quite the story. I mean, I, I think that um, a lot of us can relate to that, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of being the only woman in the room or the only woman who is maybe going into a particular field, especially those heavily male dominated fields like neurology. Um, so what was it that, you know, you mentioned that you were the face of burnout. Can you tell us more about what you experienced and what led to the burnout? We, the hospital I was at in Wisconsin at that time was the second hospital to go live on Epic in the entire country. It was that combined with academic medicine, the, the publisher parish. And so, and then the RVU system got introduced and that all happened after I got hired. And so here I was this idealist romanticist of, I was going to change the face of epilepsy research for women. And I was running this comprehensive women with epilepsy multidisciplinary program where we were taking care of female patients, doing research at every stages of life. I loved my job. There wasn't a sign. And within a few month period, we were introduced to RVUs, no longer having protected time, um, having to be in clinic all the time, managing teaching medical students, residents, and fellows in this large academic center and, and electronic health records, like all the things you know about burnout today that it wasn't on people's radar. But here was the worst thing that I remember feeling. And I really want to share this candidly. Every time I would look around at my other colleagues and they were going on as if nothing would happen, I felt so alone and lonely and a failure. And I thought like, you know, we know even today, it's very hard for physicians to admit that they're physically or mentally suffering. And, you know, because we're scared, somebody is going to do something to your medical credentials or deem you as, you know, unfit for practice. But back then, I, I think the biggest feeling was loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate to that. So many women physicians especially do feel really lonely just in their career in and of itself and then on top of it when you add burnout yeah. it just feels like um you know a lot of women doctors who are experiencing it just feel like they're yeah like you mentioned like they failed 
Like there's nobody else who understands. And, and that's a really big All mission. All the boys for were watching and there were a half a dozen people that said we should never hire a female faculty member to my face. And you can't fail because they're waiting and watching for you because they just assumed you're weaker because you're a woman. And and a person of color and, uh, you, you know, in a very, at that time, homogenous of specialty in medicine, uh, you know, where, where women and people of color were just not invited into the academy. And so, you know, we are making strides in neurology, so please don't think I'm bashing the community. We've come a long way, but we still have work to do. And so, you know, here we were, and I didn't even know it had a term, burnout. All I knew was, I'm having awful physical symptoms, GI distress. They initially thought it's acid reflux or a gastric ulcer. It turns out now I have, you know, achalasia, which is atypical and it had been misdiagnosed for years. And now I have atypical biopsy findings and I'm highly symptomatic and requiring surgery. And, you know, we go through that and the conversation at every point with every specialist I saw at every hospital before I underwent surgery was, you know, we've never seen someone with this severe of a case or this young, and it's either malignancy or it's the incredible stress you were under. And that was the first time I had ever put two and two together of the power of your mind and psyche over your physical body. And not knowing that there's been decades of research in it, but you know, when you're in a specialty in medicine, you tend to live in your own tiny bubble of neurology or internal medicine or gastroenterology or whatever it is. We don't think of the whole body and the whole system always. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's very, very true. And so what did you do to kind of bring yourself out of the burnout? How did you work through that? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, first remember back then it didn't have a name. You're feeling physician burnout or career burnout. So I definitely remember at being at home again. I go back to Danville, Illinois to recover after surgery in my parents' home. And all I knew was aside from the post-operative chest and abdominal pain, I was in a really dark place. And if people said, well, you're depressed, it, it felt worse than depression. And I remember the same elders in my family were like, we've lost our old Romy, that Romy that had a twinkle in her eye and was always smiling and making other people laugh and sharing chocolate. And, and it was some elders who were like, well, why don't you try yoga and meditate? Now, again, let's insert an eye roll for everybody listening to the podcast in 2020. Can we do that? But remember back then, this wasn't a basic concept. Like there was no smartwatch telling you, girl, pause, breathe, right? There yeah. weren't yoga studios on every street corner. I mean, this was like fringe activity. And as a neurologist who saw everything as a system and process, this was weird because mm -hmm. I'm meditating and feeling better. So I went to the public library and then the bookstore, two things that rarely exist now anymore either. And I'm getting books in the dusty corner of spirituality. And I mean, look, we read medical data for a living. That spirituality book went way over my head. I'm like, this is lovely, but that's so not where I am. And so it sent me on a journey. Like, I want to go find these teachers. And I spent a few years thinking this journey was just for myself. And I'm traveling and learning from mindfulness and different types of meditation and Ayurveda and yoga teachers all over Eastern Asia, South Asia, South America. And I don't know at what point it was, but I had that aha moment, like, oh my God, this is so not about me. This was the universe putting me on a path and that stubborn streak that I have to say, how are you going to introduce this to your brain and mental health patients? And, and, you know, then the integrative medicine fellowship and degree, and here we are today. 
We hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, Sister Docs, have you lost your passion for being a physician? You are not alone. Nearly 50% of women doctors report burnout. Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to burn out. Instead, choose to burn bright in a unique online CME course created specifically for women doctors. Join the co-founders of the Women in White Coats blog, Dr. Amber Robbins and Dr. Archana Shrestha for a 12-month long journey back to you. You'll reconnect with your purpose and your passions, and in the process will come out the other side feeling happy while burning bright. Oh, and when you sign up for this online course, you'll also earn up to 17 hours of Category 1 CME. To learn more, head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash CME. All right, now back to the episode. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Um, I wanted to also ask more about your role as Chief Wellness Officer. And if you can tell us more about what you do as Chief Wellness Officer. Oh my gosh, that's a great question. You know, I smile because I think it's like the day we're doing this interview together, it's been 10 years since my surgery. And if you told me back then that my journey would bring me to such a cutting edge role, I wouldn't have believed it if you told me. And I get asked that a lot. And so, you know, I want to backtrack and give your listeners, since I know so many people are in medical school and residency and just starting out is when I founded my company, I knew my mission was how was I going to take brain and mental health and the wellness tools for brain and mental health into the workplace. And mindfulness and meditation are a key part of my protocol, um, all scientifically based. And so it started out as keynote speaking and my TED talk and the attention from the media as a physician talking about burnout with a solution, you know, helped to build a brand and do all of that. So the first thing I want to tell people is when you walk into the space of consulting or you're saying, oh, my God, Romy, that's so cool. I'm in medical school. I want to grow up and be a chief wellness officer. It isn't a title right now as of, you know, 2020 when we're recording this interview that's out there on LinkedIn or indeed.com where you Google and say, who's hiring chief wellness officer? So let's be clear with that. And so, you know, the way it consulting even starts when uh, physicians reach out to me and say, we want to speak in the public, speaking in the public on public stages for companies and organizations is very different than giving grand rounds or a medical scammy talk. It is a whole different skill set that I have spent tens and thousands of dollars getting coached on from professional graphic design to storytelling and all of that, the ability to engage and and sell an audience on your point of view. So first of all, it, it was like going through an internship all over again to learn how to become an entrepreneur and speaker. And what happened was my story is authentic and it was so compelling and the audience would be moved right away and CEOs or CFOs or the meeting planners would see Romy is not just getting in the car and shuttling off to the airport to her next speaking engagement. I would have lines of people wanting to talk to me about what stress was doing to them at the workplace for hours. And I would patiently listen because I knew 
nobody listened to me when I felt so alone as a doctor. And if that's the one thing I could do was to be present and hear their stories. And if I could offer quick tips, I would do it. I had typically already done that on stage. And so that led to consulting agreements, executive coaching, which I got trained on. And we have programs and workshops that we give in the workplace. So that is what happened. So 2016, I gave the keynote address at Evolution Hospitality. It's a third party um, hotel management company. And I get an email from the CEO and VP of HR saying, you had the highest rated um, scores as a speaker we've ever had in the entire history of our company doing this. And your message resonates with our culture of servant leadership and wellness. So it was like this fit. It's, it's like when you're dating and you realize like, oh my God, I just met someone that has long-term potential. So that's what it's like when you're consulting with a company. And I started to consult with them and we did some research studies together for my brain shift protocol and book. And in 2018, it was their CEO uh, president and founder, John Murphy, who had this visionary idea of we're going to appoint a physician as our chief wellness officer because we've talked about wellness, but we don't have organized systems in place. And so my role was, I always say I was like the keeper of their culture of servant leadership. And my role was to take this idea of mindfulness and mindful leadership and workplace wellness and scale it. And at the time before COVID-19, we were over 7,000 employees. And within 18 months, we had over 70% adaptation rate, which is astronomical in the mindfulness corporate place. And that was because even though I was a consultant, I became one of the company. I wasn't just a figurehead or an expert where a lot of traditional consulting roles you're going to be called in if you choose to work in corporate America is there's a timeline, there's deliverables, you just give it and that's it. This was becoming one of the people and that's what it means to be a chief wellness officer. You know, if I uh, describe it in my mindful leadership terms, this is what I always say for Evolution Hospitality was, I could see every team and leader at their highest grace, what their full potential was, and then meet them without judgment where they were and use all my skills in neurology, integrative medicine, and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy to get them to that point. And our corporate mindfulness program is known as the power of pause. And uh, I'm just so proud of the leaders. I didn't do this alone. We did it together. It was a movement in the company. Wow, that's wonderful. It sounds like you're making such a huge impact and you're very much a pioneer in the field as well. So that's wonderful. And I'd love to hear, so what is the, you know, you mentioned the um, kind of the power of the pause. Can you share a little bit about what that means? It is, it is. So um, power of pause was the title we gave to our corporate mindfulness program, which was this idea of Gosh, I mean, doctors and nurses and healthcare providers, it's the same as hospitality. You're working 365 days a year, right? And 24 seven, and uh, your best laid plans will always be led astray because you have you know, uncontrollable circumstances that happen every day. And the idea was, could we create a program where you understood that before you control the situation, you have to control your mind. And you do that by hitting pause and we had specific mindfulness-based exercises for the workday and a mindfulness routine at night before sleep that we implemented company-wide and then measured stress scores. And we got feedback on how happy teams were, how well they were functioning together. And that's how we 
implemented it. And so that's what the power of pause was. Um, you know, I want to go back. Can I go back to the chief wellness officer yeah. for a second? Because the one thing that I failed to mention, and, and have you heard this or, or met any other doctors? Certain university campuses and hospitals now are now bringing in physicians to or psychologists to lead those initiatives. Have you heard that a little yes. bit? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. And so I think that's something similar. I, the difference is, is when I reached out to some of those physician or psychology colleagues in healthcare, they didn't maybe have the budget or the buy-in that I had, right? And so um, if you're ever going to take a role like what I did is make sure that the top of the leadership buy in with their minds and their heart, their mind, that they understand the importance of wellness and their hearts. That means they're going to go out and help you to talk about it and say how important it is, right? This wasn't just a Dr. Romy movement. This was our entire senior executive leadership team. You see on the Evolution Hospitality page, HR, operations, revenue management, sales, like every leader helped to spread the message. And I find that's the challenge that's happening right now in healthcare. It's people want to check a box. So they appoint a very caring physician, typically a psychiatrist or psychologist to uh, be the wellness officer. They don't have a budget. They don't really have support and they're just kind of left out there floundering. So I did want to discuss that. There's opportunity to make that better for those of you that are listening. I know there are some uh, people like me that have a stubborn mind out there and your wheels are already turning going, I could make that better in healthcare. Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to hear from you. Maybe, you know, we have a couple more minutes if you could share on just the you know, healthcare in general, as you already know, you spent many, many years in the hospital and um, teaching and, you know, taking care of patients. So, you know, obviously it's, it's a difficult field in and of itself, even before the pandemic. So now in light of the pandemic, what kind of tips do you have for, especially women doctors out there who are, are, are medical students or residents, women med medical students and residents who are out there, you know, in the hospital, in the clinics, taking care of patients, what kind of um, tips do you have have for them to really kind of achieve some type of wellness, even though this is a very stressful time, and even though, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are really concerned about their safety during this pandemic. So first of all, I want to thank all of our sisters and brothers that are out there on the front lines. I no longer am, but I have family members, my brother, first cousins that are doctors out on the front line, and um, saying thank you right now is just not enough when you're being sent to the front lines without enough protection and support. Uh, it just, my heart is hurting. And when you hear about burnout and the mental health issues for all of healthcare providers, but let's talk about women doctors specifically. I am, I'm here first and foremost to say, I'm not offering you any solutions. Our healthcare system is completely broken from everything that I told you about the pressure to publish and EMR and reduce patient time and not having protected time to, you know, do the innovative projects you do in academia or non-academia. And I mean, the list goes on and on and you throw a pandemic on top of it. And this is the one message I have for every woman is take care of your mind first, because it is women leaders that are going to help lead us out of not only this pandemic, but to help to fix the healthcare system. I feel the reason the healthcare system is broken is it was built by white men who did not account for the rest of the population and the population's needs. And this emulates from toxic leadership models all the way down to how uh, women and people of color are, don't have equal access to care. 
uh, and how we treat our healthcare workers. So like at every level, and it is women who need to rise. So here's the one message I would give to you all and to find the resources and that we must be there for each other is this, there's one thing that I've seen consistently I, that I've learned personally from successful women C-suite level executives and Fortune 500, uh, women Olympians, women professional athletes that I've worked with is they unapologetically every day have time scheduled for themselves. This idea of what am I doing for my mind, my body, and my spirit. But this model gets turned on its heads. Don't you think when we're in medicine that somehow we become the martyrs, especially women, and that, oh, I'm going to put the needs of my children and my family and my patients and the hospital administrators before me. I must sacrifice. Stop that. No. Every day, ask yourself, what is something that I will do for my mind, my body, and my spirit? And then at the end of the day, review your day and ask, what did I do for my mind? What did I do for my body? And what did I do for my spirit? And if you're stuck at that psychological level saying, oh, Dr. Romy, you don't understand. You don't have small kids or you're not working 20 hour days. No, really, I before the pandemic, I was flying 150 to 200,000 domestic miles a year, dealing with corporate clients, running my own business and serving as chief wellness officer for over 7,000 employees. My secret was that. That is what I learned from 10 years ago. What am I doing for my mind? What am I doing for my body? And what am I doing for my spirit? And you know what? There ain't no one recipe fits all. So stop shaming each other to do vegan or vegetarian or paleo or keto or meditate this way or do some other thing. Like figure out what works for you. Get help and do it. What are you doing for your mind? What are you doing for your body? And what are you doing for your spirit? That's wonderful advice. And I completely agree. Taking that time for yourself every day is so incredibly important. I think really makes all the difference in the world. So And prioritizing it, like putting it on the schedule, prioritizing it unapologetically, like this is who I am and this is it. Because all of a sudden then you prioritize the rest of your schedule and now you have time for all the other really important people and things in your day. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. Um, I make that time sacred for myself. And because I realize I what's something, you, you know, everybody knows I like to meditate, but, and I start my morning, what's something you like to do for your body or mind every day? Well, I, uh, over the years, because I've actually gone through a few rounds of burnout myself, mm-hmm. um, I've really developed, um, a miracle morning routine. There's this book called the miracle morning and, um, that helped me kind of get into a really good habit of um, waking up in the morning. I spend some time meditating, doing some prayer, some visualization, and then I do a little bit of gratitude journaling, and then I get my workout in. And I do that before the kids get up. I've got an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, but I make sure I get that done before I start the rest of the day. Because when I do that, I feel like if I win that morning, then I'll win the rest of the day. That's such great advice. I love that. Thank you. I will go on to share that as well when I meet other strong female doctors such as yourself. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Romy. This has been wonderful. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And I know the the listeners have learned so much from you today. Thank you so much. Likewise, go on, my sisters. Be strong and be bold and be brave. Hi there, Women Docs. We hope you've been loving this podcast and feel uplifted at the end of each and every episode. If so, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. 
Those reviews help us get the word out and help uplift and empower more women doctors. But you know what? We'd love to meet up with you in person. So head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com and sign up to become a member of our supportive tribe. When you do, you will be the first to hear about meetups in your area, as well as upcoming live events. You'll also get our latest blog articles and podcasts delivered straight to your inbox. And you'll be the first to find out about the next time we open up our virtual Doctors Lounge, an online membership community created just for women doctors, where each month we run masterclasses with guest experts and masterminds on topics relevant to women doctors. While you're on our website, womeninwhitecoats.com, order your copy of our number one best-selling book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. Oh, and be sure to follow us on social media too. On Instagram, you'll find us at Women in White Coats blog. And on Facebook, you can find us at Women in White Coats. Can't wait to meet up soon.